Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. So the Apostle Paul sat down to write a letter. And as he said, he wrote this letter to all who are in Rome. Undoubtedly, the the Christians who were there, the believers who were there, maybe some Jewish people who weren't believers yet. And of course, to anybody who would read the book. Um, Romans is is just an extremely broad, deep book and the things that it covers. Paul is going to address the Christian life and basic theology and all these big things in this letter. So I'm writing to you all who are in Rome. But right here in the beginning of his letter, He says this, verse 15, he says, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. I'm ready to preach the gospel. All this stuff that Paul is going to talk about, and he he starts, though, I'm ready to preach the gospel. You know, why do you need to say the word? Or why do you say I'm going to preach you the deep mysteries of God? Instead, he says, the gospel. And I think it's because somehow, some way, the gospel, and we talked in the past about it, maybe it's bigger than we initially think, but this gospel is, is the message that uh, God uses to help us understand our need, that we are lost before a holy God, right? We are sinful people by birth and by action. And we need forgiveness of a holy God. And the gospel tells us how we can have that. How that Jesus came, the Son of God, becomes a man. The man Jesus lives a perfect and sinless life. No sins of his own to pay for, dies on that cross, paying the penalty for our sins, my sins, your sins. Rising again from the dead, victorious over death and hell and all that stuff that was against us. And the gospel says that if we will come to grips with that truth and, and see that on our own, we, know we are lost and deserving of God's punishment. So, so we turn away from all that and we turn to the Lord and, and believe what he did for us and trust it. And how he then forgives every sin. Man, am I glad of that. Forgives every sin. We have eternal life. No no fear of hell, one of the songs we sing, right? No fear of hell. We don't need to fear that anymore because of what he did. And on top, but more than that, he comes in and he makes us new deep down inside. And there's a new, new, he, he lit the burner of the furnace, right, of his life. And he's in there and he's working and helping us to grow and, and become more and more like his son. And so Paul said, I mean, everything else really flows from that, right? If you don't have that and you don't have that relationship, None of the rest of it is going to help you, right? And so he says, now I want to come and preach the gospel to you. And of course, the gospel is that message I just shared, but it's bigger than that. It's everything that flows out of that. Because those things are true, then this is true. Well, that's gospel then, isn't it? Because that's true, this is true. All of these things, it's the gospel message. But it's right at the core of it is that God loved us so much that he sent his son into the world to die or pay the penalty for our sins, rise again and offer us forgiveness and eternal life. That's the core of the gospel. 
But so there's more to it than that, though. It isn't just that it's this crucial doctrine. In the very next verse, and Paul didn't write verses, but the very next line that he wrote in verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. And he means for the Jew first because Jesus came, the promised Messiah to the Jews, the Savior, starts there and then from there went out to the whole world, to all the rest of us. But look what he says. The gospel of Christ is the power of God. The power of God. How powerful is that? It's the kind of power that speaks universe into existence. It's the kind of power that can raise people from the dead and has. I mean, it's power beyond what we are normally aware of going on, but that power is there and available. And so, as the Apostle Paul writes, he could think back on his own life. And the Apostle Paul was um, a hater of the truth of God and Christianity. He was bought in to the nth degree to the Judaism of his day, which really wasn't very godly, very harsh, uh, not loving, but he bought into that. But Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and Paul was forever changed. And this one who was against Christians and persecuting Christians is now the one who is going around the world telling people about Christ, putting himself at great risk to do so. And so he can think on his own life some 20, 20 plus years before he sat down to write the letter of the Romans, he could think back on his own life and the power of God. Think about the power of the gospel, right? And more than that, he can think back on all of his travels and everywhere he went, he would share the gospel. And amazingly, people got saved. People believed. People responded. How is that? It's because the gospel is powerful. You know, I don't know what your politics are here, and it really doesn't matter to me in this setting or this situation we're talking about here today. But if you have a strong political view and you go down someplace, you go to McDonald's and find a group of people sitting there talking or Dunkin' Donuts or, or wherever, and you want to go over and you hear them talking, you realize they hold a different political view than you. And so you, you can walk into that little circle and start, here, let me tell you what I think is true. How long before you're probably leaving that group? Even if you are persuaded, you are convinced. You know why? Because there is no power in that stuff. Okay? I mean, there's some power of truth, but you know what we're talking about here. There is no power in that stuff. But in the gospel, it's different. The gospel comes, and it is very, very powerful. Something different is going on when the gospel is presented than when anything else you want to try to talk to people about. And it's because it's the power of God. When the gospel goes out, God goes to work. Not that he hasn't been working ahead of time. He has, but you understand what I'm saying? 
When the power of God, when the gospel comes into a person's life, the power of God comes in. And, and people respond. They respond. Sometimes they respond by opposing it. Because they don't like this. They don't want to hear this truth that I'm a sinner. They don't want to hear the truth that I, I can't be the Lord of my own life. They, they don't want that. And so they will oppose it. And then there are others who will hear it and they won't oppose it, but they'll be very troubled by it and just kind of say, well, let's maybe later. <laughs> Talk about that later. But there are some who hear that message and God stirs their hearts and minds and somehow they respond and they believe. I remember doing that April 4th, 1975. I had heard the gospel and it just wouldn't let go of me until finally I said, okay, God, I get it. And I received Christ as Savior. Can you remember when you received Christ as Savior? If you did, raise your hand. Can you remember when you did? Yeah. Uh, so think about that. And, and some of us, some of us grew up in church and we, we basically always kind of believed and we came to some point where it became personal to us and all that. But how many of you in here today would say, I was an unlikely candidate to become a Christian? How many of you? All over the place. The power of the gospel. That's what changed you. And so as the apostle Paul is sitting here writing this letter, and talking about the power of gospel, he remembers his own life. He also remembers as he went and traveled. And, and I think on his second journey, which we started looking at, we see that he had some experiences that really show the power of the gospel. And that's what we want to take a look at today. So let's take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible with you, we encourage you to pick up one under the chair there in front of you. There should be one, and we're going to be on, uh, start on page 1275. Acts chapter 17. Now, last week when we left with, uh, into the story, Paul had been in Philippi. You remember he had preached the gospel. He had been beaten and thrown into jail, he and Silas. Uh, they, by God's miraculous working, uh, the Philippian jailer had gotten saved, his whole family had gotten saved. And you understand when I say gotten saved, become saved, and those of you who are watching, listening maybe, we're talking about what I said earlier. It's understanding the truth of the gospel and then by faith, believing, trusting Christ, receiving Christ as Savior. So that's what we mean, saved. We mean saved from the penalty of sin, saved from the power of sin, Okay. So the Philippian jailer got saved and his whole family got saved. And uh, then Paul and Silas are headed on down the road. And that's where we pick up here in chapter 17. It says, now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. This is a hundred mile walk okay, to get from Philippi to Thessalonica. And so they covered that ground, and, that, and Paul was looking for major cities because he figured if he could reach people in major cities, the gospel could go out from there. Verse 2, Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, to the synagogue of the Jews, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Christ is the Greek form of the word Messiah. He is the promised Messiah. And some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined 
Paul and Silas. They believe. So, Paul goes to a place where they've never heard of Jesus. Now, the Jewish people there had the Old Testament scriptures, and they knew a Messiah was coming, you know. But we know that this idea of Jesus being the Messiah was really hard for the Jewish people, especially for him to be God, right? That was hard for them, understandably so. But so they've never heard this, and now Paul shows up, and he's telling Messiah, and he's telling this Jesus, he's God, he is God, come to fulfill these things for us. And then he has, uh, he says, the devout Greeks, those were Gentiles who had come to believe that the God of the Jews was the true God. They hadn't necessarily become Jewish, but they believed that this was the true God. And then it talks about the, the women. Uh, how, did it, how did it describe it? The leading women. <laughs> but the idea is these were women who were well-known in town. And it wasn't just men, see? It wasn't just the men. This was spread abroad. And, and the fact that leading women, women who were well-known, women who had a high reputation in town, were followers, that, that mattered. That something. That was significant. So he, he's three, like three church services. Three church services, Paul says, hey, let me explain to you. Let me talk to you. To people who have never heard, never had any background in this. I mean, many times when you guys invite a friend of yours to come or a family member to come, many times they already have some idea who Jesus is. They already have some idea, yeah, he died on the cross and supposedly. They have some background. These people had zero background. And three church services later, some of them believe. And a whole bunch of those Gentiles who, who had come to believe in God, they believed. And, and even bleeding people, people with a reputation in town, they were believing. How does this happen? Think about it, how does it happen? Only one way, what? The power of the gospel. Now let me tell you how this, uh, the change that had occurred here. The Apostle Paul, he's there these three weeks, and we aren't sure how much longer he's there, but he wasn't there a long time before he got run out of town again and had to head down the road. And yet, let me tell you what happened. There was a church. They started a church there in Thessalonica. And here's how Paul describes them when he writes them a letter a while later. He says this to the Thessalonians. You became examples to all who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth in every place. In other words, people are hearing about you and what's happened in your life and your, your decision to follow Christ. It's out there. Your faith toward God has gone out and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They were changed, weren't they? And this was not a quiet thing happening in a corner. It was known. How does that happen? How do people get from where they were to there? It's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel, that's how it gets there. Go ahead and go to that slide, if you would, Mitchell. The power of the gospel. Now, because we saw this, there's, there's people, different people who, um, how they responded. The power of the gospel also, it doesn't always just stir up nice responses. It also stirs up opposition. 
Think about this. If you're at work, you're at school, you're in a, a setting where you have other people there who don't believe like you do, don't have a relationship with Christ. And, and if you want to say something about God, you'll probably get a pass, right? Not going to be a big deal. If you want to talk about something spiritual or, you know, trying to be live like a good Christian and, you know, help people, you'll probably get a pass on that. But the moment you turn to say, well, let's talk about who Jesus was. He was God in human form. He died. You, you want to get into the gospel. That's when it gets tense, isn't it? That's when it... And there's a reason for that. It's because the gospel is so important and it is so powerful. So it doesn't always just cause positive response. It causes negative responses sometimes too. We ought not be surprised by that. That happens here with Paul. Okay? Uh, they throw him out of town, basically, him and his companions, and they head on down the road. Okay, There were people who were saved, though, and there was a church there. All right, so let's go back here to Acts 17. Let's pick up in verse 10. They're heading down the road. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. It's about a 45-mile hike. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So he's saying the general uh, attitude of the Jewish people in the synagogue in Berea was more, when Paul would talk, they would say, well, let's look at those scriptures. Let's look at those prophecies. Let's look at the law and what it said and to try to understand. So that is a positive thing. And then verse 42, therefore many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women, as well as men. Again, it's making, this is an across-the-board kind of thing. And so, once again, people you wouldn't expect to be saved are. How does that happen? The power of the gospel, right? the power of the gospel that it came and did that. And once again, it stirs up opposition because the, um, the opposition from Thessalonica somehow or other caught word <laughs> that Paul and Silas were in Berea and people were becoming followers of Christ there. And so they came looking for them there to cause troubles for them there. And it became so clear to the, the believers who were there that uh, this is really going to get bad. And so they grabbed Paul and they took him and made him leave and took him all the way to Athens, which is 300, over 300 miles away. That's 10, to, 10 days to two weeks, depending on how fast you can walk. But they took him there. That's how, they wanted to get him far enough away so that he wouldn't be, probably have worse happen to him than he had in Philippi. Now, Timothy and Silas stayed. They stayed in Berea for a while. Paul was the one who was at the front, right? You know what it'd be like? It'd be like if for some reason or other here, we came to the conclusion, I'm standing in front of you every week, and if I keep doing that, they're going to kill me. And so hopefully some of you say, that doesn't sound like a good idea. Let's take Walt and let's get him out of here. But some of you, nobody would know you were here involved, right? You could stick around and... And that's what Timothy and Silas did. So they stuck around and helped the believers. Um, 
But eventually they, they follow on. So the power of the gospel, people getting saved, people you wouldn't expect to get saved, people getting saved with not like a long time of, of being absorbed into the gospel, but just hearing it and coming to understand and responding it. And so now they've sent Paul to Athens. Now, based on what we know about Paul, do you think he said, oh, man, I just should learn to keep my mouth shut? Have you ever felt that way? You tried to witness, you tried to share your faith, and people blew you away or, you know, made fun of you, and now they keep giving you bad, whatever. And our human tendency is to say, I should do what? I should just keep my mouth shut. Well, there might be times to do that, but probably not as often as you think. Okay? So the Apostle Paul heads off, and knowing Paul, he's going to have a hard time keeping his mouth shut which he shouldn't have kept his mouth shut. Let's read, starting in verse 16. It says, Now while Paul waited for them, for Timothy and Silas to come to him, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. All right, so he looks at the city and he says, there are idols everywhere in, in their whole uh, place where they, they have their gods. There are just so many different idols this place doesn't know God. This place is far from God. Verse 17. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. That little phrase, those who happened to be there, is significant, as we will see. But here he is. Where is Paul? He, he's, he's not just in the synagogue anymore, is he? Because he goes to the synagogue there and he wants to talk to them and, and he can talk about the Jewish Messiah and the scriptures. But out in Athens, that's not what they're about. They're idol worshipers. And, and by the way, idols can be just a piece of rock or wood, but sometimes depending on what's going on with the people worshiping, it can be a lot of demonic influence there and ungodly. And so this is what Paul is seeing. So he isn't just talking in the synagogue anymore. He's talking where? In the marketplace, where the people are. <clears throat> Boy, is it fairly easy to talk about the Lord and your relationship with him while you're here? Right? Friendly faces. People who feel the same way you do. And that's good. We need to do that. We need to encourage you to... But man, where else do we need to be talking about our relationship with the Lord and in the marketplace, right? And out there, out there, where the people are, where you are. And so this is what Paul is doing. And by the way, when it says with those who happen to be there, how many of you think they really just happen to be there? No, oh, they're God's at work, isn't he? And I would say if you run into any person in your life, any time, any place, they don't just happen to be there because God lives in you and God loves that person and God wants to reach that person. And so therefore, they are not there by happenstance. God wants to reach them. And he puts you in the place with them. All right, so he's in the marketplace daily with those who happen to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, those are just different schools of philosophy, encountered him and said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. 
because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Now, this sounds like a wonderful audience to share the gospel with, right? What is this babbler saying? Um, no, there wasn't an openness there, was it? There was a curiosity factor, as we'll see, but not an openness. Then, verse 19, And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there in the Areopagus spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. This was the place where you went if you wanted to uh, offer an offering to your idol. All the idols were in this place and, and spread out around it. And this is the place where you came to talk about philosophy and you came to talk about uh, this God versus this God and a new God from a new place. So that's what they did. They spent all their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Does that sound like they're looking for the truth? Most likely not. They aren't looking for the truth. They're looking for a conversation. They may be looking for an argument. Verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Oropagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. And they're probably going, yep, yep, we are. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. So they had a God to cover the one they didn't know about, right? They had an idol, statue, or whatever. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. Um, when Paul left Antioch, do you think he had a strategy that I'm going to go find an altar to a God that nobody knows about so I can tell them about? No, this happened. It came up, right? The Lord knew about it ahead of time, but Paul didn't. But what you see is the Holy Spirit gave Paul this, I mean, what, this is masterful choice, isn't it? You have an unknown God that you, let me tell, I know him. Let me tell you about him. And the same will happen to you in your witnessing if you're wanting to be a faithful witness and talk to God. God will bring issues up or provide Something that you can use to begin your conversation. He will. And we need to be alert to those things, don't we? Okay. And we got to be bold enough to do it. All right. Different sermon. He continues. He said, let me proclaim this God to you. Verse 24. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Because you can't make something that you're going to keep him in. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. So you're going to bring an offering to him. He doesn't need anything from you. Why? He's the one who says, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So he's saying God is the one who made humans, not the other way around. <laughs> See, that's one of the things of idolatry, isn't it? Is people who were made by God now make something and call it God. Okay? And, and I think it's the prophet Isaiah, I think, who talks about how stupid that is. He says, you get a stick, and you cut the stick in half, 
and one side you use for a cane or a tool and the other you make an idol and you worship it. It's not very bright, is it? Okay. Anyway, he says, God is the one who has made you and he's, he's working. Verse 27, so he put people where they are so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. Just let me stop again and just reinforce what I said a little bit ago. This says that God puts people where they are on the earth and at this time in history to try to cause them to seek him. So when you talk to someone who you, you know, know is not a Christian, it's not by accident. Again, what? They are where they are in the world, which happens to be in front of you, at this moment in history, not some other time, why? That they should seek the Lord. And so you, I have a role here, don't I? I have, I have, God has brought us here this time. It's not accidental. God has a purpose for your relationships. And for the unsaved who in your life, his purpose is that you would be a witness and a testimony. A wise one, yes. One who speaks with words that help to draw, yes. But a witness, Okay. Verse 27 again, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grow for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. And this idea of offspring, it doesn't mean his son or his daughter. It means that we came from God. God is the one who made us. Verse 29, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising, right? If God made you, why would you make something and call it God? Then he's, he, he's uh, getting down to the point he wants to make. He says, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, to turn away from this and to God, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Who is he talking about? Jesus. He hasn't even got to the point of being able to say his name yet. What I want you to know is that this, I believe this was merely Paul getting started. This was the introduction to what he wanted to say. But he never got any farther. Let's look what happens. Verse 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius, the Oropagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Now, this is an amazing thing to me. First, we see the responses. We talked about how people respond to the gospel. Look, right? Verse 32, when they heard the resurrection, some mocked. Some people will always respond against. That's going to happen. Don't be surprised. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Okay? And some others said, well, we'll hear you again on this matter. Let, you know, we'll think about it, right? Talk to us again later, maybe. <laughs> But amazing, verse 34, what? Some men joined him and believed. Some people believed. Paul didn't even get through the message. He got through the introduction to say, here's what we want to talk about, Jesus. Here, oh, you know what breaks loose? 
and some believe. And I'm sure he had a further conversation with these people to help them. But how is it that with this short presentation in this crazy environment that people got saved? How is that? Well, haven't we already figured that out here today? It's because the gospel is the power of God of salvation to all who believe. It is. Look at this. Among them, verse 34, among those who believe is Dionysius the Oropagite. That means he was one of those people who hung out in the Oropagus all the time. He was an idolater. He was one who liked to talk about just all the gods and learn and did it. And God breaks through that and changes his heart, right? And then a woman named Damaris. That's all we know about her. I don't know anything else about her except that we've seen repeatedly, right? Significant, I say significant, we're all significant, but significant in society, women were coming to faith as well as men. And this is probably one of them. And then others with them. Guess who the others with them probably are? Those who happen to be there. They just happened to be there. They weren't there probably looking to do any of this stuff. They were there in the market for some other reason and they heard the gospel and they got saved. Years and years ago, many years ago, there was a teen event going on here on a Friday night, I think, and a young man who had had a fight at home with his parents, a teenager, way down Auburn Street, had walked all the way up and was walking down the hill and saw the lights on. He said, I'm going to get a, go to the bathroom. He just happened to be there, and he got saved. And he's not here anymore. He's moved. He's away in a different place. But God, the power of the gospel, it is so, so powerful. Beyond what we really understand, so there's really two thoughts that I want you to, to really take home today. And one is personal and the other is about our mission together. And the first is this, that your most powerful and effective witnessing tool is the gospel. Yeah. If we went around today and said, you know, do you struggle to witness? Most would say, yeah, I find it hard. You know, some of harder than others. And well, why is that? Well, I don't really know how to say it. Uh, I'm afraid I will say the wrong thing. Anybody ever thought that? Afraid I'll say the wrong thing? Afraid they'll ask me a question. I won't know the answer, and then they won't get saved. Or they'll ask me, and I'll give them the wrong answer, and now I will have blown it, and they'll never get saved. All this kind of stuff. And we tend to think that people get saved because of our skills. And people get saved because of our knowledge. And people get saved because of our techniques and our answers. People don't get saved because of those things. God may use those things along the way, but it's not me that's powerful. It's not you that's powerful. The gospel is the power of God of salvation. So what you need to figure out how to do is in relationships with people you have who don't know the Lord, you've got to figure out, God, how do we get to the gospel? And sometimes it might just be real open and up front and have a talk. Other times it might not. Uh, it might be, and this is really, really extremely, I think, a powerful combination. One is your story. 
How did you come to know Jesus? What, what was your thought process? What was going on in your life that, that motivated you to respond, right? You heard the gospel, and maybe it took a long time. Maybe you heard it once, whatever, but you have your story. But the idea is this. You tell your story intertwined with the gospel. See, I grew up in a home that had, we had religion. I went to church when I was young, learned some basic stuff about Jesus and all that. But man, there was no, there just, there wasn't any gospel there. It wasn't there. I didn't know that, didn't understand that. And as I was in high school, I became intrigued with lots of things. Christianity, sure. Uh, in fact, when I was in junior high, I was in a speech competition and talked about the greatest power in the world is love because God said, love your neighbors. I mean, I didn't know what I was talking about. But I'm in high school and I meant so all this. And now I'm, I'm thinking about, um, anybody ever remember Edgar Case? Hear of him? Reading about him and there's a soul bank out there somewhere and we come and go and all sorts of strange stuff like that. And I didn't buy into that either, but it was just, I was kind of an Arapagite. And somehow, some way, a girl, not my wife, but a girlfriend got me to church where I heard the gospel. And my first response was, whoa, they really believe this stuff here. And then as longer I went on, it was like, well, yeah, it makes sense. So, yeah, okay, I, I accept that. I must be saved, right? Because if you're not, you're going to hell. And I'm not going to hell, that's for sure. <laughs> but I wouldn't say, fine. And so I'm bumping along doing this. I, I got to, I tricked them. I got baptized. <laughs> I didn't purposely trick them. I was deceived. I got baptized. I was teaching the uh, sixth grade boys Sunday school class. I became the janitor of the church, need a little money, going to the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and I'm there. And then on a night in January, we went to a, a, a revival at another church. And that preacher that night said something I'd heard my pastor say many times. He said, if you were to die tonight, are you sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that you would go to heaven? And for the first time, bang! I had this conscious awareness that I did not know that. What's going on? The gospel is being preached and it's working. And I was a tough one, right? I had to bang into me to, to get me to, and it still took me three months. So, well, okay, whatever. Three months later, when I finally I got down and prayed, and I said, okay, God, I get it. I know it. I know that I'm not saved. I, and, I, you know, and I believe that Jesus, and I receive Christ as Savior. How does that happen? My folks weren't sending me to church. Um, and I wasn't even going to church for the right reasons. My girlfriend was at church. The power of the gospel. So you tell your story. People are interested in our stories. And you intertwine the gospel with it, what you came to see, what you came to understand. I am amazed at how many times I have 
over the years, many years, when I've actually got to sit down with someone, open up the Bible, and explain the gospel, that the people want to receive Christ. I mean, it's just amazing. I can't remember how many times here we, people show up for something special and not always something special, and I just explain the gospel and say, if you'd like to receive Christ as Savior, pray with me now. And then I usually ask, you know, if you pray with me, would you raise your hand? And people do that. They don't have to do that. Why would they do that? If you went to some place where they were making a sales pitch or a political thing, and at, they, at the end they said, hey, let's pray, and how many of you would like to be one of us? You wouldn't do that, right? Unless what? Something had changed. The power of the gospel. Let me, um, so the gospel, you need to figure out how to get that into your relationships. Second thing, we want to keep the focus of our missions efforts gospel-centered. We want to keep the focus of our missions efforts gospel-centered. Because we're talking about missionary journey and we talked about the uh, framework for missions. We've done that. But think about this just momentarily, shortly. If we take the money that, that you guys give and we give it to an organization that helps kids, that you know helps to feed kids, helps to clothe kids, helps to educate kids, helps to get them training for you know, some skill and all that, is that a good thing they're doing? So what if they do all that and the child never hears the gospel, grows up an adult and dies and goes to hell? How is that loving? How would that be good stewardship of the resources? Any mission stuff we do has to be connected to the gospel. Because if we never help the kid in any way like that, but that child heard the gospel and went to heaven forever... That's a good thing, isn't it? Now, I don't say we have to always choose the between these two. Because sometimes going and helping a child is what opens the opportunity to share the gospel. But do you understand what I'm saying? As we look at missionaries we support and what we're doing, we need to consciously think, is the gospel connection here? Because that's where the power lies to change a life. So we always want to make sure that there's a connection Okay, somehow, some way with the gospel. All right, um, so two action steps for you. One is to learn how to share the gospel and then do it. It doesn't depend on you, right? I mean, you, but you do want to learn. You do want to be able to talk and explain. And say. So let me, let me just give you a practical suggestion here. Uh, we have such great opportunities these days. Get an app. And I've already put the um, links on our events and announcements page for this app, um, for both Apple and uh, Google, Android, whatever. But this app is really cool. It uses the bridge. It's animated. And what you use this for is two things. One is it'll help you to learn how to explain the gospel. It'll help you learn. And actually what you see here, you could do on the back of a napkin with a pen. I mean, it's just... It's that simple and straightforward, but this talks, shows you verses, helps you know how to talk about it. Now, depending on the circumstances, you can do this. Here we go. God loves us and wants to have a relationship with us. 
He wants to help us on our journey through life and into eternity. And the pictures change. So the point is you can use this to help you just to get so used to talking about the, how do I talk about this? How do I say these things? That it will make sense when you're telling your story just to put it in there. And you want to do that because the gospel is what? Say it with me. The power of God to salvation. Right. So learn how to share the gospel and then do it. And occasionally we offer classes to help you with that as well. And then the next one is this. Start or continue giving to missions so we can partner with missionaries who preach the gospel. You know, we have partnered with missionaries and we help them support them. But if we stop giving, we can't support them anymore. And if churches don't support them, they can't be out there preaching the gospel. And then the, that means the power of the gospel the power of God and salvation will not be present. So let me encourage you, whether you, if you already give, praise the Lord for that. Ask God if he wants you to do more. I'm not asking you for money for us. This is money that's going to go out there and around the world. But would you, would you do that? Would you pray about it and think, God, do you want me to do more? Do you want me to do a dollar more, five dollars more? You're not giving it all to missions? Start giving to missions. That's how we support missionaries. Just start something. Ask God and do what the Lord tells you, okay? Um, not what I'm telling you. This is the mission God has given us. And he tells us to make disciples that starts with the gospel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word today. and Thank you for how you worked in our lives, Lord, and you brought the gospel to us and our hearts and minds were stirred and whether quickly or longer, but you used it, Lord, to bring us into a relationship with you. Help us never to forget that. And Lord, burden our hearts about getting the gospel out, both to the people in our lives and to people around the world through our, our missions, Lord. And um, we want to honor you in this. We want you to use us. We want stories to tell about your greatness and the power of your gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, thank you so much. Uh, just a reminder, because we don't always announce it, we do have Bible study in here at 1130 to 1215 today. We're working our way through the whole Bible. We'd love to have you stay. Thank you. <laughs>